Hi, I'm Brienne. And I'm Ben. And I'm Neurotypical. I'm Neurodivergent. And this is Typically Diverse. Um, so our story of the week actually happened this morning. Well, most of it happened this morning. Well, some of it happened this morning, some of it happened the rest of the week. I can't figure out days anymore. Um, so our daughter started daycare today, which was very exciting. Um, but how we faced getting her ready for daycare was an interesting battle of wills. Because I did what I consider normal healthy and the correct thing to do and I started back packing her backpack for daycare two days ago <laughs> I'm aware that she doesn't need much for daycare but I like prepping in advance so that I know what I need and we had time to stick her little name tags on all her clothes and like prepare everything and then you drove me crazy this morning when an hour before we wanted to drop her off at daycare you're like oh by the way there's a list of what we need and yeah, like of course there's a list of what we need okay but couldn't you have said and I started packing because there was stuff on the list we didn't have ready. And it stressed me out. I mean, we had most things. And, and the things we didn't have is just... We were, like, organizing them in a different way. But we had everything. It's not like we had to run to the shops to, to get her something we didn't have. Yeah, everything was at home. But everything was not ready. And that's what stresses me out. <laughs> yeah, well... At least we checked the list before leaving. That That's a plus. Okay, but next time, please check the list when I start packing so that I know what I need. Fine. See, this I is... I remember. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what's funny. This is what's always really funny is I consider myself neurotypical. And this is kind of, as you know from reading the title of the podcast, kind of what we're going to dive into more today, is um the fact that I'm neurotypical, but I have mental health conditions that mean my brain do does work differently to like your average neurotypical brain like a lot of people would consider me neurodiverse or divergent I don't consider myself neurodivergent um hence why I consider myself neurotypical obviously but like I have a bad anxiety condition which is why I started packing her back three days ago which isn't considered neurotypical I would say I don't know I'm neurodivergent. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what the neurotypicals do. Well, I don't know many people who pack their kids' daycare bag three days in advance. Because I think in total it was like five things in her bag. Like... Oh, yeah. We had to pack, because we use cloth diapers. So we had to pack enough diapers for the day, two outfit changes, her formula bottle, a water bottle, and she has a little cuddly toy, her little lovey. Uh, I still remember what we need to pack. And we had to pack a bag for the dirty diapers to go in so that they don't go back in her clean bag of clean clothes um so it's not much and it's like the obvious things you need to prepare for daycare but i still wanted to pack three days early yeah and i mostly agreed with that because like we needed to put labels on things that like because so far she was just at home so none of her clothes and belongings were labeled so and yeah. that we prepared in advance like we we ordered some stickers online and they arrived well in advance and we started sticking them on them in advance and that i agree with but then yeah, I thought the morning of, oh, may as well just check the lists, because may as well. Yeah. I mean, I guess I should have figured out if there was a list myself. I just assumed, because you're in charge. Honestly, this is the stupidest decision we've ever made. You have ADHD, and you're in charge of all the paperwork for the house. Yeah. How we have survived this long is interesting. But because you're in charge of the paperwork, I assumed you were going to tell me, oh, hey, I got an email with the list of everything we need. Do you want the list? And I would have been like, yes, that way I can pack accordingly. Um, but no, that didn't happen. So it was 
to me a frantic morning of like, oh my God, we need to get the last few things, which I don't feel like you had. No, it was normal <laughs> for me. Plus, I think I had show you the email like two months ago when we got it, when we signed her up. Okay, I have baby brain because I'm pregnant and anything that happens more than five hours ago is gone in my head. Which is like you. I'm living like you yes. are. Yes. Which is interesting. That's a bad combo. If anybody is with someone who has ADHD and you're planning on getting pregnant, good luck. Because baby brain with ADHD, like two people, one is pregnant, one has ADHD. It's it's an an experience. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? I would say so. <laughs> anyway, so to get into the actual topic of the episode, it's our like mental health conditions i guess you could say and our history with mental health we'll get into the diagnostic process next week because that is a can of worms um for the both of us in yes. completely different ways yes um but let's just kind of go over mental health in general what we have been diagnosed with what we think we most likely have and haven't formally been diagnosed with yet yes. and our history with kind of where either where these things come from or when we started realizing there was something up and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so this is kind of like an intro episode of who we are, uh, what our brains are like, therefore like neurotypicalities, neurodiversities, um, other forms, yeah, like of mental health in general. And yeah, so as you said, it's not so much about how we got these diagnosis in particular it's more about what we have what how it affects us on a day-to-day -day basis and like kind of for some of it where it comes from like growing up and things like that and yeah so because it's typically diverse and i'm the neurotypical i'm gonna go first ha and also girls go first and also i'm hogging the mic so <laughs> you don't get a choice. Yeah, because we're only using the one mic at the moment and I'm kind of leaning in closer and closer so Ben doesn't get a choice at this point. Um, so as I said earlier on, I know a lot of people would consider me neurodivergent and I, I get that and to each their own. I don't consider myself neurodivergent mainly because, um, and this is kind of part of like everything. I just want to go over why I don't consider myself neurodivergent because I know I kind of am. Um, I've never felt very welcomed in the neurodivergent online community. I feel like there's a lot of gatekeeping and a lot of people don't consider me neurodivergent enough to count as neurodivergent. And I only, that's our dog. We have a dog and she barks. I'm sorry. This is great podcasting. Um, I only found out about my mental, can you go maybe deal with the dog? <laughs> my mental health conditions when I was quite a bit older. And so you could consider me like high- I won't say high-functioning, but that's the only word I can think of. Like a high-functioning neurodiverse person in the sense that I've, like, adapted to the neurotypical world to such an extent that, like, I fit into the neurotypical world. Um, but yeah, so I consider myself neurotypical. Whether you agree with that or not, that's your own thing. Everybody has a way of labeling themselves. Um, so with me, I have been formally diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and CPTSD. And... I'm pretty sure I have OCD. I know there was talk of it when I was a kid that I probably have OCD, but it's never been formally diagnosed. I should probably get on that diagnosis at some point. It's up to you. <laughs> yeah, I should. I'll see if I do. <laughs> it's one of those like, uh, I probably should, but I can't be bothered. Um, so it all stems back to the same thing. So I have 
uh, like generational trauma. So what that means is one person in my family went through a really traumatic event. Because of that, they developed depression, anxiety, and CPTSD, which is complex PTSD, basically. Um, because they went through like multiple horrible things at once or in one like span of their life. And because of that, they raised their kids in a not good household. Um, so there was a lot of trauma within that household. And then those people had kids and raised their kids like that. And that's what happened with me. So my grandparent had multiple traumatic events in their life and then raised my mom under that trauma. And then my mom raised me under that trauma. So a lot of my issues come from my grandparent in a weird twisted way, um, which is always interesting knowing that like I messed up because of something that happened in like the forties or something. Um, so my mom is emotionally, mentally, kind of physically also abusive and manipulative. So because of that, when I was six is the first time I know that a therapist said like, hey, it looks like she probably has depression and anxiety. You might want to like check on that. I only found this out when I was in my 20s. Um, schools also would often say to my parents like hey looks like Brienne has a lot of anxiety you should maybe get her like seen by someone maybe get her on some medication and my mom was like no she's fine she's fine she's just a very stressed child which like yes that is anxiety mother is when you're very stressed <laughs> um, and then yeah so a lot of my like the depression the anxiety and the CPTSD come from like years of brainwashing manipulation abuse and it's led to me being a very unsure of myself person. <laughs> <laughs> that was something when we saw the midwife for this pregnancy, one of the questions she had was, do you consider yourself confident? And I went, oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, and so the OCD thing, which is I have not been diagnosed with, um, I will talk about that because a lot of people don't really understand OCD and just see it as like, you like things to be clean, which I do. I do like things to be clean. That's one anxiety response. My OCD is I like things to balance in my body. So if I touch like my left leg in a certain way, I have to touch my right leg in the very same way. And I also have a thing where like I draw lines with my eyes and they have to follow a certain shape. And if they don't, I have a panic attack, which is an interesting experience, which you've had to witness. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure it's not interesting to witness. Well, it's interesting to witness. It's not fun to witness. No. Um, I don't know if you want to go a bit into detail about like the OCD, like the obsession and the compulsion part of OCD. Yeah. So I'm going to try and explain this as best I can. So you have these feelings of like, I have to do. So let's take the like body balancing thing. So like right now, for example, I just scratched my left eyebrow. I'm going to set my OCD off by talking about it, which is also a problem. But anyway, so I've scratched my left eyebrow and now part of my brain is like, you have to, you have to to do the same thing on your right eyebrow. And if you don't, it's wrong. So I'm not one of those people with OCD who feels like if I don't, my whole family's gonna die. But I feel like if I don't complete the thing my brain wants to complete, it's wrong. And I start feeling physically nauseous and sick. And I just feel really unnatural until I've done it. And I have to have done it a very specific perfected way for the feeling to go away so like if I scratch the outside of an eyebrow and I then scratch the like inside of the eyebrow on the other side that's wrong and I have to do it right and until I've done it right it keeps escalating the level of anxiety and stress and panic until I've done it I have actually set it off so I'm just gonna casually just scratch my eyebrow and, and doing that <laughs> therefore is the compulsion yeah so that's part. the compulsion and then 
um, like the obsessive part is kind of like the repetition of it. Um, I don't have that so much with the body balancing thing. I do have that with like my eyes tracing lines, which I have never found an explanation for. There is a condition where you trace objects with your eyes, but that's not what I have. I have invisible neon lines in my eyes that I have to trace. They're neon. I don't know why you they're neon. You never told me they were neon. <laughs> they're like neon blue or neon pink. Um, they're appearing now that I'm talking about them. This is interesting. My OCD doesn't appear unless I think about it. And then suddenly it's like, hello, <laughs> and it won't go away. So the obsession is more like, I have to do it. And like, it has to, I'm trying to explain how, like it's different to the compulsion side of it. My brain's not working. I think the obsession is like, you're, it's like intrusive thoughts in your brain that keep telling you that yeah. something needs to happen or like yeah you you obsess over a thought and then mm -hmm. the compulsion is you taking an action as a yeah. result of the obsession to mm -hmm. try to calm it down but until you manage to do it just right yeah. it won't calm the obsession down yeah that's yeah that's the best way of explaining is that your brain is like i guess in your terms hyper focusing on something and then you have to do the thing and you have to do it just right and then the hyper focusing or the obsession will go away um but because like in my case, my brain doesn't want me to complete them. Um, so for example, with the tracing of the lines, I'll have like, for example, like a curved line that I can see in my imagination that I have to trace with my eyes. But then as I'm tracing it, my brain like forces my eye to go like squiggly instead. And so I can't trace it perfectly. And I've had cases where for like 20 minutes, I am trying to trace this imaginary line in my head and my brain is stopping me from being able to complete the, the compulsion or the obsession that I have, or like with my body balancing thing, it is impossible to touch two different parts of your body in the exact same way with the exact same pressure, the exact same, like to the millimeter spot. And so like, I'll bounce back and forth because like I'll touch my left knee and then I'll try and touch my right knee in the same spot, but I haven't hit the same spot. So now I have to try and hit that spot on my left side. And then, and it goes back and forth and back and forth. So like my brain sabotages a lot of my compulsion. So I can't actually complete them. So the obsession just grows and grows and grows until I'll have a panic attack from it. And like with the body touching thing, I need someone to literally physically restrain me so that I'll stop touching myself, but they have to restrain me in the same way. <laughs> So like if you're holding, because it's been yeah. there's been times Ben has to hold my wrists, but you have to hold them with the exact same pressure, the exact same spot on my wrist. Otherwise, it's actually making me worse. Or like with the eye tracing thing, I'll try and like read a book or something because that forces my eyes to follow a different path. But most of the time, I just have to kind of wait for it to go away, which can take hours. I mean, I had my eye tracing thing for three days straight at one point a few weeks ago, which was horrific. Yeah. And I think also a good way to understand OCD is by looking at what it isn't mm -hmm. and I personally love tennis and so a lot of yeah you, you I'm trying to figure out how tennis and OCD oh really this is every conversation in our household you don't see the link anyway um when Nadal plays he has a lot of this is getting so specific. habits and mannerisms and you know, he always touches like his nose and then his ears in the same way. And he always puts his water bottles in a very specific way before playing. And a lot of people just say, oh, he has OCD. But when you look at interviews and what he actually describes, he does all these things because he wants to and to put his brain in the right mindset for the game. He doesn't have the obsession part mm -hmm. where 
he feels wrong if he doesn't do it. He he wants to lay, like orient his water bottle so that the label are towards the court so that it puts his mind towards the game. It He describes it as not, like he doesn't obsess over it and sometimes if he's in a rush, he won't do it and he won't have like an impeding feeling of doom if mm-hmm. he doesn't do it. Therefore, you can't just say someone has OCD by looking at their behavior because... It's not just the compulsion, there's the obsession part that's just internal to your brain. And unless you start talking to someone and really understanding what they're doing and why they're doing these things that might from the outside look like OCD, they're not necessarily OCD. Yeah, I mean, I have a like a more personal story to that even. When we were in high school, because we've known each other since we were... 13 and have been dating since we were 16 and we're 25 now and when we were in high school we were taking a chemistry exam and whenever I had an exam I set up my highlighters in a specific way on the corner of my desk this wasn't an obsessive compulsion thing it was a thing I like to do that like Nadal gets me in the right headspace for an exam and you had noticed I had this behavior or this mannerism and we had already kind of vaguely talked about the fact that I had OCD, but I'd never gone into detail about what that meant. I just said like, oh, I think I have OCD. And I think you assumed this highlighter thing I had was an OCD thing. Yeah. And during this exam, one of the teachers actually picked up one of my highlighters to like highlight the time or something on on a piece of paper for everyone to see. I can't remember what he used it for. And then yeah. he kind of like chucked it back on my desk. And so it wasn't back in its spot and it kind of knocked all the other highlighters. And you had told me afterwards that you were really worried that that was going to like ruined the entire exam for me because like my little OCD habit had been broken and I was like no that's not OCD I just like having my highlighters like that like there's no reason for it and I don't have to do it I just I like doing it it's my like getting ready for an exam ritual I have and so like OCD isn't so much rituals as like I have to do this or I will feel sick and I will panic and I will feel off and wrong and unnatural until it's completed which I do not have with cleaning and a lot of people with OCD do have it with cleanliness or being tidy but OCD is not the obsession of being clean it's a different obsession like I hope that makes sense yeah and I think that's also a good reminder to not use um actual mental disorders labels just to describe a a behavior that you have you know like Oh my god, I'm so OCD. Yeah, like, no, like, you're not. You just like putting your pens away. <laughs> like, and that really frustrates me because I am genuinely a tidy person anyway. Like, all my pens are organized by type, and like, I used to organize them by color. I don't do that anymore. I don't have time with a toddler. But like, I like organizing things and putting things away, and like, I label things. That isn't OCD. And I'll have people who are like, "Oh my god, you're so OCD." Like, no, I, I just, I'm tidy. I, I like tidiness, and I like putting things away. And that came from how I grew up because so my mom's house was manipulation and abuse but at my dad's house my younger sibling has uh asd so autism and adhd and we're pretty sure my dad probably has adhd (laughs) um and so my stepmom is a teacher and is anyway a very tidy person but because her husband and her child have adhd my stepmom very quickly came up with like a labeling system pretty much everything in that house has a label yeah and has like a little like all their like winter clothes live in little baskets with little labels on them with your name tag and you have to put your things back in your own basket and I grew up with a lot of that around me just from living in that house a lot of like you put things away and you label things and you tidy things up and that's not an OCD behavior it's just 
When you live with two people with ADHD, you need to find a way to keep things tidy, which has become really useful living with you with ADHD yes. because I have all these mannerisms and techniques and tools that have actually helped you learn how to manage ADHD. I think you have more ADHD coping mechanisms than I do. I mean, from the outside, a lot of people have said this. They think I have ADHD because I use all these mechanisms and tools and like techniques to manage ADHD. I don't think. Sometimes we wonder if I might actually have ADHD. I don't think I do because I only have certain like small characteristics of it, which are more linked to anxiety than ADHD, I would say. Yeah, that's kind of always the tricky part is because there is quite a bit of overlap between different um, conditions. It, it, when you see a symptom, it, it you can't just say, oh, I definitely must have that. There's, yeah. Like it could be so many things that... Sure, yeah, you ha you do have some of the symptoms of ADHD, but as you say, they can also be explained by anxiety or by other things, so yeah. it's... Which we know I have. Exactly. So, I don't think I have ADHD, and if I do, I've obviously learned to manage it really, really well. But because I have all these, like, really neat tools that help with managing ADHD, I'm not surprised a lot of people just assume I have ADHD at this point, because I've just learned how to live with ADHD, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I think it does make sense. But yeah, so that's that's me. I have... So I'll quickly go over complex PTSD because I kind of brushed over that. Um, so PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. It's when you go through a traumatic event and you have stress from it afterwards. So basically it's an anxiety response to a certain trigger, which goes back to what we were saying about like, don't say, oh my God, I'm so OCD. Don't say, oh my God, I'm triggered. Triggered is an actual medical term. It means it has triggered a panic response in somebody. So like, you're not triggered if someone has said something to annoy you. You are angered or annoyed or frustrated. To be triggered means it has actually created a stress trigger panic response in your brain that you can't control and that's honestly terrifying to have to go through. Um, so post-traumatic stress disorder, you will find there are certain triggers that as I say, trigger a huge stress response in your body. And so PTSD comes from one traumatic event. CPTSD or complex PTSD comes from having multiple kind of smaller traumatic events throughout multiple months or years of your life. So because I grew up in an abusive household, there isn't really one traumatic event of my life that triggered having like triggers and panic attacks, but having grown up like that for years means that there are things that genuinely trigger me and that I have a PTSD response towards them. So that's what CPTSD means. And then I have depression, which I think everybody really understands. I have general anxiety disorder, which basically just means I get stressed and anxious about a lot of things. <laughs> like I have like social anxiety, phone anxiety. I just have anxiety. I just stress out about everything. And I probably have OCD, but I haven't been formally diagnosed. So that's me. I guess it's onto me then. Um, so I have uh, inattentive type ADHD. So first of all, ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, attention deficit is a bit of a bad name I find for it because it's not always uh, a deficit of attention uh, it's more a deficit of a lack of control over where you put your attention sometimes you've got loads of attention but <laughs> not on what you want to be focusing on and it's 
hyper focusing is a big part of it and so ADHD is like the combination of uh, what used to be two different uh, conditions called uh, ADD, uh, Attention Deficit Disorder, and Hyperactivity Disorder. And then um, recently people have realized that it's actually just two manifestations of the, the same disorder. So that's why they're now grouped under uh, the one label ADHD. But that there's f there is therefore uh, three different types of it. There's inattentive type, which uh, used to be ADD. Um, so that's where it's mainly um, based like in, in your brain and thoughts. Um, like you hyper-focus on things uh, or struggle focusing on things, keeping your focus, um, always like forgetting where you've put stuff, things like that. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but I do. This is a daily battle in our house. Um, and the the way I've seen people describe it is it, it's all hyperactivity, uh, but like there's hyperactivity for your body and hyperactivity for your brain. And therefore the inattentive type ADHD. Um, I, I like that description that it's your brain being hyperactive and it can go a hundred miles an hour, but you struggle to control in what direction that goes. Then you have a hyperactive type ADHD where it's a lot more um, physical uh, focused, where can't sit still, fidgeting a lot. Although fidgeting a lot can also be part of inattentive type because it, it's something for your brain uh, to focus on or at least to, to distract it while you do something else so that it doesn't go in a thousand directions. So fidgeting can be uh, both, but it's this kind of physical manifestation of the hyperactivity. That's uh, what's called the hyperactive type. And then you've got a third type uh, that's called combined type, where it's basically where you have uh, the two first type at the same time. So both your body and your brain uh, are quite hyperactive at the same time, mm -hmm. which must be chaotic. I'm... I mean, that's what my sibling has. Yeah. And it, it is chaotic. <laughs> it's it's interesting. You get used to it. Like my life is chaotic <laughs> enough with just the, just the inattentive type. Sometimes I can't really imagine. Um... I mean, I've just realized because my dad has... Uh, like hyperactive type and my sibling has combined and you have inattentive so I have lived with all the different types of ADHD oh, yeah. and they are all chaotic no offense <laughs> none taken <laughs> it is it's an experience yeah so um, that's my main diagnosis and why I consider myself neurodivergent um, I also have uh, depression and anxiety it's kind of um, unclear whether I just have depression and anxiety on their own or if they're a result of my ADHD, especially as we'll go over in the, the next episode that goes over more our, our diagnosis process. I've been diagnosed quite recently. I was 25 when I got my diagnosis, which means I lived uh, most of my life so far uh, not having a diagnosis and therefore not having not having medication, but also not having good tools and coping mechanisms and stuff and therefore living 25 years with uh undiagnosed untreated adhd um i think has had quite an impact on my mental health and is at least part of where my 
depression and anxiety come from. Yeah. Um, then there's also the fact that um, I grew up in, like the household I, I grew up in, my, my mom and my dad are, are quite different in the way that my mom is often quite overbearing. Quite overbearing? And Let's rephrase that one. <laughs> Uh, can often be like smothering and like helicopter parenting and always on top of me and and trying to protect me but therefore like sheltering me from from things that maybe could have been developmentally good for me and on the other side um my dad has uh, quite bad depression uh and therefore was quite distant uh and my parents uh, don't talk much, if at all, between them. Not like out of. Uh... It's not out of spite. They just yeah. don't communicate. It's not that other. they don't like get along and they're about to get a divorce or anything. It, it's just like communication is not uh, a core part of, of the relationship, and therefore I didn't really. Not only did I not grow up with that, like see that growing up, and therefore I didn't have that example. Uh, for me as an adult to to be able to easily communicate with other people but also therefore I missed on a lot of um, like you know you always describe like your parents are supposed to be your example but because there's a lot of interactions that um, I didn't necessarily witness uh, as a kid I I now like have a lot of trouble identifying my emotions and, and like realizing when I'm getting stressed and I often just don't talk about things that includes just with myself I, I'm not like always being honest with my feelings and stuff and therefore I tend to bottle things up until I can't anymore and then it all explodes and therefore that's also part of like my my mental health and, and struggles in general is that I haven't developed what I consider to be a, a healthy relationship with my my emotions and how to identify them and process through them and all of that so I think that's yeah that also played a big part in shaping um, my experiences and how I behave today you might just hear a vacuum in the background we have one of those robot vacuums and it just decided to turn on um so Ben's run off to deal with that um yeah and I think as he's coming back, I'll, I'll wait a second. He's back. I think a big part of, like, a big issue we have noticed between the two different ways we've been raised, regardless of neurodiversities and, like, neurotypicalities, is... Uh, so, obviously, my mom's house was neglectful and we didn't talk in a healthy way. But, like, at my dad's house, we did talk. And you lived with me and my dad and his family for six weeks before we moved across the world. And there were definitely moments you were struggling when we were at the dinner table because, like, at my dad's house, anything goes. And especially, like, talking about your feelings and your emotions and your day and how are you. And, like, we would have these conversations and you didn't really know how to partake in that. And you were very uncomfortable with emotions just being, like, laid out for everyone to look at and scrutinize and work through. And it, I remember you feeling or telling me that you were feeling kind of, like, exposed a lot of the time and like it was uncomfortable and unnatural for us all to be like I've had a really bad day today and I'm feeling really depressed um which like to me I feel is the like a really healthy way for a family to interact to be like hey I've had a bad day and I really need people to help me and you you struggled with that for a while 
Yeah, because it's not something I didn't have uh, growing up. Uh, to me, it it wasn't a normal thing. And when you have feelings, you you keep them to yourself. And then even just like sometimes, it, especially initially when I started working on all of that, was even hard to just put words on it, let alone like share these words with other people. So yeah, that. It's definitely something uh, I've had to work on. I'm still working on it. I think I've improved, but there's still still work to be done on, on that side. Um, and kind of not really linked into all of that, but... Um, but welcome to Ben's brain. He's going to come out with something that has nothing to do with anything. Go on. No, um, a common... Uh, side effect's not the right word, but a common symptom of ADHD is a thing that's called uh, RSD. Uh, rejection sensitive dysphoria mm -hmm. um, which is um, a feeling of uh, extreme rejection whether it's real or perceived uh, and like re being very easily hurt by these feelings of rejection and I think that also uh, didn't help uh, my, my depression and anxiety because I've over the years, because of that, I've kind of learned to I'm trying to think how to phrase it, like to adapt my behavior to make sure I don't get any sort of uh, negative. You people please. Yeah, I people please, and and I try to not get any sort of negative feedback from people, whether it's directly on me or like on the work I've done and things, because. Uh, part of RSD is uh, taking this negative criticism, even if it's fully warranted. But And for example, it can be like criticism on the thing you've done and you take it um, personally. And like any criticism on the thing you've done is a personal attack against you. And therefore, it has to be because, because there's so much uh, hurt with RSD attached to that. Try to avoid it at all costs and therefore, yeah, try to... To make everything perfect, at least in the eyes of other people, and therefore, I've struggled a lot with um, concepts of self worth, and still nowadays I, I attach a lot of my my own worth to what other people think of me and and the work I've done, and and I don't really manage to see and value when I do good things. Like I'm very quick to brush when I've done something good, but I, I will like obsess over something I've done badly and, and like blame myself for it. And yeah. yeah. And I have a similar thing due to living with abuse and being criticized for everything. Like one of the things I had growing up is when I was at a restaurant with my mom, I would like, I don't know, order something, whatever, a meal. And she would say, Oh no, you won't like that. You should order and it was spaghetti bolognese that she would always tell me to order instead. And it got to the point where growing up, I stopped ordering for myself because I'd get scared I'd get it wrong. And like, I still have that. Well, I'll have to like ask Ben, like if I were at a restaurant and I want something, I'll say like, oh, can you order for me? I want this. And Ben has to order to the waiter for me because I'm scared I'm going to get in trouble for ordering the wrong thing, which you can't order. I understand this and I know objectively you can't order the wrong thing in a restaurant. But because I would get like an abusive response to ordering what was considered the wrong thing, I'm scared of ordering the wrong thing. So my issue isn't RSD, but it's they're very similar. Yeah. And we have a lot of these where even though we have 
been diagnosed with different conditions and our brains work in wildly different ways, we have a lot of similarities with those conditions, even though they're completely different. Yeah. And kind of to, to jump on that note that like, for example, your trauma response is very similar to, mm-hmm. to RSD. Um, nowadays, our society is built around neurotypical people and therefore it can be hard sometimes for people with uh, neuro, like that are neurodivergent to um, exist in that world. And uh, therefore there is kind of like a whole, whole side of uh, psychology that says that our current understanding of neurodiversities, uh, for example, ADHD, uh, at the moment isn't uh, separated from uh, the trauma yeah. that's associated with it from growing growing up in a neurotypical uh, world. And therefore, it's not well understood yet what's actually just part of, for example, ADHD. Well, it's the example that I use because it's what I have, but it applies to other uh, forms of, of neurodiversity. But there's not a good understanding of what's actually just ADHD and that's the brain you the way your brain works or <laughs> the brain your way works <laughs> or what's actually been a, a trauma response building from having to adapt living in a neurotypical world so and and RSD is one of those things it's not yet really clear whether it's actually a structural part of ADHD or if it's a trauma response from people with ADHD not being accepted as much as they could and should in the neurotypical world. Yeah, because, I mean, you still see that even today. Parents whose kids have ADHD, especially, like, hyperactive ADHD, and they're like, just sit still. Why can't you just sit still? And, like, they can't sit still. They, they physically are not able to sit still. That's not something they can do or ever will do. And from a parent perspective, to say to your kid, just sit still. Why can't you just sit still? What is wrong with you? That's going to affect them and that's going to stay with them for the rest of their lives. So it's something that is still so little understood today. I find more so than like depression or anxiety. Like I consider myself in a weird way lucky that I have relatively known conditions. Like most people know depression and most people know anxiety and most people know that you can't just just be happy when you have depression. Like, that's not how it works. But a lot of people don't seem to realize that, like, with ADHD or with OCD, who are, like, lesser understood conditions, you can't, like, you, Ben, you can't just stop fidgeting. Like, that's, no. it's not going to happen. You need to fidget. I can't just stop trying to balance out my body. I, it, I physically am not able to. And when, especially a parent or a teacher says that to a child, like, stop fidgeting or stop doing this, and they physically aren't able to, that's going to get in your head and it will affect you for the rest of your life. Yeah, and like to take a more personal example, there was a whole period in, in high school where I was really struggling to do my homework, especially in the subjects that I wasn't particularly interested in. So like, for example, math, physics, I could do my homework, no problem. But when it came to like history or languages, I wasn't interested in those subjects. And therefore, my inattentive ADHD makes it extremely hard to to focus on something you're not interested in especially uh, at the time I was undiagnosed and therefore not under any sort of medication or anything which can help with that sort of thing but therefore there was a whole period of time where I wasn't very good at doing my homework and I got called like lazy for it or teachers were saying like 
can see you have a lot of potential if only you applied yourself more like you'd be able to get so much better grades and and therefore it, it yeah it's in a way it is traumatic like having it, it's all put on, on you and you could do better and if only you were like actually doing something without other people understanding that I, I physically couldn't get myself to to do my homework and things like that and yeah, so it the it's impossible today to to differentiate what's actually ADHD and what actually came from me reacting to these like these reactions that are today pretty typical for for people with ADHD to encounter and yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something cuz so I've mentioned uh we have a toddler, she's 13 months old and I am pregnant and I think we're both so hyper aware as parents about our role in how our children view themselves. Um, because like those first seven years of your life are your formative years where you are taught how to expect to be treated and how to expect to be loved and how to expect a family dynamic to look like. And I grew up in an abusive neglectful household. Um, so like, I'm so hyper aware to make sure that my kids don't feel that because I still live with repercussions of that today. And like, so you were saying with ADHD, you're often told you're lazy and you just need to apply yourself. And growing up, my mom would often tell me I was a liar and I couldn't be trusted. So now there's even moments where I'll say something and I'll doubt myself. I'm like, is that actually true? Did what I just say, is that true? Which like, yes, I know it's true. And I'm actually an incredibly honest person, <laughs> but like, I'll still doubt myself all the time because those especially those first seven formative years of my life, I was always told like I was a liar and I can't be trusted. And I think now that we have a kid, we're so, so hyper aware. And I know I'm hyper aware to a fault and I've taken it almost too far, but like, I'm so aware of like, does she have any mental conditions that we need to look out for and help her and support her with? And like, I'm constantly saying like, oh, that's an ADHD trait. I bet you she has ADHD or like, oh, it looks like she has anxiety. Like she's 13 months old. I'm fully aware she probably doesn't, but I'm still not 100% convinced she doesn't have an anxiety disorder. Yeah. <laughs> because like she stresses out a lot and gets worried a lot. And I, is that normal for a 13 month old? Does she have anxiety? Am I projecting? I don't know. I see, I'm starting to spiral. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, it you have to find that that balance of being like aware of your kids enough. I, and I'm not saying that necessarily parents that didn't catch uh neurodiversities or mental health issues in their kids uh weren't being observant enough, but like you, you do have to observe your kids to be able to notice these things. That's a prerequisite. And therefore, you have to find that balance between being attentive to what they're doing and yeah therefore trying to notice these things as they occur and therefore being able to not like say oh you're lazy when it's actually like they might actually have ADHD and are just physically not able to do something and at the same time not spiraling and saying that like at every tiny symptom you find you immediately assume they have that and you bring them to a child psychologist immediately <laughs> and insist on getting I am not a, that a diagnosis <laughs> yeah and we will have a an episode on parenting with different neuro brain workings not sure how to yeah about being typically diverse haha <laughs> there's the name of the podcast and um, we will have an episode about parenting 
um, later on in the series. But yeah, I think because like so much of my mental health issues, if not all of them, come from how I was raised, I'm really hyper aware of things we say to our daughter but even around her like a few days ago she was having a really bad day and she was just having meltdown on meltdown on meltdown on meltdown and she was like whinging all day long which other parents out there you know how annoyingly frustratingly uh, that can be when they just whinge and at one point Ben you turned to me and you said like I can't take her whinging for nothing and that hurt me in a way because I felt like you were like disvalidating what she was feeling. She was obviously feeling stuff. Yeah. And like we know now that she was like, she was overtired and she was in pain from her teeth and she had a bit of a rash and like, she was just not okay. And she wasn't whinging for nothing. She was whinging for a reason. And so like, I immediately corrected her. I was like, don't say that in front of her. Like she's going to hear you because though she's only 13 months old, they already hear and register and take in everything that's said to them and around them. So like, I think a lot of parents also need to realize, don't wait until it seems like your kid has ADHD to stop calling them lazy. Just be careful from like pretty much the day they're born to not label them and to not like unvalidate or invalidate, I should say, their feelings and stuff like that because that will lead to stuff. Like if every time she whinges, one of us goes, oh, she's whinging about nothing. She'll eventually learn like my feelings don't matter and they're nothing and it doesn't matter what I'm feeling. My parents don't care. So like it's something I think parents... And we're slowly, as society, becoming more aware of mental health and how much it yeah. is linked to our childhood and how much parents have to be careful from, I say, like, pretty much from birth. You have to be careful the language you use around your kids and even just the way you interact as parents around your children. Like, do you want your kids to see you fighting? If yes, like, do you want them to see that fight escalate? Or do you want to wait until your fight is starting to de-escalate before you show them what conflict is? And, like... I think as a parent, you have to decide before your child is born, where do you stand and how much is your mental health going to affect their mental health? Because I yeah. say like, my mental health issues come from my grandparent who didn't deal with their mental health issues, who then passed them on to my mom, who didn't deal with her mental health issues, who's now passed them on to me. So like, I'm fully aware that if I don't deal with my anxiety and my depression, there's a high likelihood I'll pass it to my kids. So I have to be extremely careful with how... I talk to them and even with like, I'm saying like, oh, I think she probably has anxiety. I try not say that near her because I don't want her hearing that and registering and be like, oh, I have anxiety and then developing anxious behaviors because she's been told she has to do that because she's been told she has anxiety. So it's this balancing act of like, I think like being honest with kids and like teaching them about their feelings because that's something we realized with you. Like yeah. if you don't teach kids what feelings means, they don't know what feelings means and they can't handle feelings as adults. So using your own mental health problems and your history of mental health to make sure that doesn't repeat is it's a journey and it's yeah. difficult and I think we have conversations every day about like oh next time she has a meltdown about this how should we better handle it and like I'll bring up like I think she might have anxiety because I saw these behaviors today or like she might have ADHD because I saw these behaviors today so yeah and I think as you said we'll go a lot more detail oh yes there's a lot more that, to talk about um, during our, our parenting episode but yeah, it's a good reminder, like looking back on our own stories and seeing how much of it comes from childhood and, and what we've been exposed to or haven't been exposed to, but we <laughs> should have. Um, all of that has such an impact on where we are nowadays that it's already a good reminder to keep that into the back of your mind when 
you're raising your own children or even just interacting with children in general. Yeah. It doesn't have to be just raising your own. Like, for example, when it was teachers at school telling me uh, that, like, I was lazy or not applying myself enough. Like, it's not just on parents to, like, be careful of how they interact with children and nor just on parents and teachers. Uh, the, every time you interact with children, you you have to, like, keep these things in the, in the back of your mind. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be aware. And I think a lot of people, and I'll go through into more detail with the parenting episode, but I just want to add on that note that like kids are human. They are people. They're just little. They're people. And I think we should treat them as people and not as children. Because a lot of people are like, oh, he's a child. Like, okay, but he's a person. <laughs> and he has the same feelings and emotions and stresses as you do. So like, just bear that in mind when you're talking to a kid that, like, they're, they're still little people. Yeah. No, that's for sure. So normally at this point, we answer listener questions. And we did ask last week for questions for this week. However, last week's episode was recorded literally minutes before this one. So we don't actually have any listener questions because organization is interesting with the toddler. Well, then I have a question for you. Oh, Boy, I did not prepare a question for you. Uh, that, see, that one, I'm stressing out. <laughs> My brain is just completely It's, like, it's kind of like a combined question for the both of us, so okay. we can both answer it. It's kind of like, uh, why did we decide to make this podcast? Okay, that's a good question. Sorry, I need a... Whoo, this is anxiety. Um, why did we decide to make this? See, my brain's completely gone. I'm like, I don't know why. <laughs> why did we make this podcast? That's a good question. Why did we, Ben? Well, I, I'll, I'll start on, on my end. Um since uh, getting my, my ADHD diagnosis, I am uh, trying to uh, talk to it. Uh, talk to it. Raise awareness. That's yes, why. Yes, talk about it. I mean, you more. can talk to it too if you want. <laughs> hey, ADHD, <laughs> stop behaving like that. It's annoying. Uh, no, but yeah, I, I try to talk about my ADHD a, a lot more. And especially because before I started researching it, uh, I didn't have a good understanding of what it was. Therefore, I'm trying to help uh, normalize this conversation and have like help other people get a, a better understanding of what it is. Um, it to me, a it's always always good to understand what other people might be going through and like how their brains work. Like it can can help you in like social situations and stuff. Uh, so. To me, it's anywhere helpful to be able to understand how other people might think. And also, there's a lot of people out there that think, like, might think they're lazy and that, like, why can't I just do this thing? And and listening to, to stories of people with ADHD might help them realize that they have ADHD or that their kid has ADHD. And so, yeah, to me, it's kind of like this dual purpose of it's useful for just in general for people to be more aware of what it is and it might actually help people that themselves have it and might not realize it and so that's kind of why i personally wanted to do this podcast is to be able to yeah raise awareness and and break some of the the stigma that like there's some bits of adhd that most people don't know about but there's also some parts of the common understanding of ADHD or other things like you were saying with OCD like what people often describe as oh I'm so OCD that that's not actually OCD and and understanding these things and raising awareness to me that's a, a big reason behind doing this podcast yeah and I think now that I've come down and can think again um 
adding on to that, we have a lot of friends who are in like typically diverse relationships. One of them is neurotypical and one of them is neurodivergent. And I think again, to raise awareness and to make people realize that it's normal that you guys are having these, like, I won't even say fights, but like stupid altercations over things that don't matter, but they feel like they do because your brains just don't work the same. Like we'll often have these moments over something that we know isn't important to like the greater scheme of the world but it's important because my brain works a certain way and your brain doesn't work that way yeah and your brain works a certain way and my brain doesn't work that way and to kind of help other couples who are in these similar situations understand that like hey you know when you're having like an argument over i'm gonna bring this back up the toothbrush holder (laughs) it's okay and it's normal and also to make other people aware that like, this is what it's like when you live with someone whose brain just does not compute the way yours does. That, like, you're going to have weird, like, yeah, arguments is the wrong word, but, like, weird discussions over things that matter but actually don't matter. Yeah. And, like, there are often these things you assume are obvious. And then after talking, like, you realize... Like, your obvious and the other person's obvious are not the same. And therefore, there was things that weren't said because they were assumed to be, like, commonly understood. But you didn't understand them in the same way. And that, like, where incompression started. And yeah. so, yeah, it's, like, raising light on the fact that it it's a pretty normal occurrence in uh, typically diverse couples. It might even be in fully neurotypical or where couples where they're both neurodivergent we don't know we can only speak from <laughs> our own experience but yeah kind of normalize that it normalize that it's normal i can't think of a better way to say yeah that. normalize that like this happens more often than you'd think and it's let's say yeah if you're finding a lot of similarities especially like that's why we want to do like a topic like not a topic that we uh like what happened Story, to us this week yeah because I say like literally every day, multiple times a day, we will have one of these, as we call them, typically diverse moments where one of us will do something and the other person's like, what are you, what? That doesn't, that makes no sense. And you're like, yes, it does. And so we'll have this moment of like, okay, well, that's a weird thing that we cannot agree on. And yeah, sometimes they'll lead into like more like arguments. And sometimes it'll just be like a moment where we like hysterically laugh about it because it's so weird that our brains will not ever coincide on this one topic yeah and i think speaking of these little typically diverse moments uh so we'll as we said at the first of each episode we'll do like a a story that happened within the last week uh but sometimes like several things happen and we can't talk about it all or sometimes it's hard to capture on a podcast so just describing it after the fact is not quite the same so every so often we'll try to uh capture these moments and post them to to our instagram stories yes so uh if you want to see a bit more what it's like day to day uh, these little uh typically diverse moments you can uh follow us on instagram at typically pod uh and there we'll try every so often to to post on our, our stories little snippets of our life and what these typically diverse moments are actually like on the moment because it's one thing to explain the situation afterwards it's a whole other thing to actually live it and and see it not quite live like we won't go live during these moments but (laughs) (laughs) and oftentimes we won't actually film as it's happening it will be more like the aftermath of like oh hey we just realized that like 
Ben does this, and like I don't, and this is kind of how we feel about it right now. Yeah, because we. It's where we can predict, oh, a typically diverse moment is about to happen. <laughs> May as well take our phone out and post to our Instagram stories. So, yeah, when we realize it's happening, we'll try to, to fill everyone on that. and Welcome you into our interesting, chaotic lives. Yes, and one we're, while we're on to uh, socials, our Twitter is the same, at typicallypod. And you can use both to ask us better questions than this one uh, for <laughs> our... You could have told me we were asking each other questions. I would have prepared something. Well, I only thought about it on the moment. Like, <laughs> are we really going to leave this section empty? <laughs> I thought we could. Oh. I explained it. <laughs> See, this is one of these moments where like, Ben was like, I'll just do this on the fly. And I'm like, please don't. <laughs> I don't do things on the fly. I prepare. Um, so yeah, please don't hesitate to tag us or message us or whatever on at typicallypod, both Instagram and Twitter. Or if you know us and you want to just DM us personally, like, that's fine too. Yes. Um, both our, like, individual social media accounts will be linked on both the bio of the Twitter account and the Instagram account. So if you also want to follow us individually on top of uh, following the podcast, the links will be uh, in the bios and probably in the, also in the description probably the episode if we remember well you're the one who's in charge so i'm not counting on you the one with adhd is in charge of posting so don't count on any link we said they're going to be in the description will actually be in the description because i can't make any promise no i'll try and make sure he's done it but i have a toddler to run after so we'll see <laughs> i think that's it for this week i think so i'm hungry i want to go have lunch yeah, so I think that's the wrap-up. So. <laughs> the pregnant lady is hungry. <laughs> so thank you everyone for tuning into this first episode. Uh, if you liked it, don't hesitate to share it with other people. That will help us a lot. Yes. Uh, also, don't hesitate to leave reviews. Only uh, if they're good reviews. I don't want bad reviews. No, I'm kidding. You can leave a bad review. It's constructive criticism and we'll learn from it after yes. I've had my anxiety moment about it. It's fine. Please give us uh, honest reviews. Uh, we we want to know if there's things that just don't work and we need to improve on. Uh, it, it will hurt. It will hurt, but don't <laughs> yeah. hesitate. We, we like. Let's be honest. We are going to struggle. You have RSD. I have anxiety and a history of abuse so like we we want the honest reviews but like be nice <laughs> even if you're gonna be mean <laughs> please be nice but uh yeah don't hesitate to leave reviews for example like apple Podcasts that know allows reviews there are probably other platforms out there but yeah don't hesitate share leave reviews and hopefully see you next week yeah tune in next week for the next episode bye bye